Support for this podcast and the following message come from Dignity Memorial. When your celebration of life is prepaid today, your family is protected tomorrow. Planning ahead is truly one of the best gifts you can give your family. For additional information, visit DignityMemorial.com. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. George Wallace has been doing stand-up comedy for almost 50 years. He's a veteran of couches on both The Tonight Show and The Late Show. He's been in dozens of movies and even more television shows. He is basically royalty in Las Vegas, where he has done so many residencies that he's lost count. Wallace came up in New York alongside a well-known roommate, Mr. Jerry Seinfeld. And Wallace's humor, like Seinfeld's, is observational. The stakes are usually pretty low, the punchlines and wordplay frequent. It's broad, in the best sense of the word. A George Wallace joke from 1979 can still kill. I'm getting scared to fly now. I was in New York at the airport uh, three weeks ago when the plane run right off the runway into the water. And I'm thinking, first of all, anybody stupid enough to get on an airplane with the flight number 5050? <laughs> Flight 5050 is always flight 103 216, right? 5050? They're telling you before you leave the gate. 5050. <laughs> no, that's right. 5050. 5050. Go on out there on runway 13 and give it your best shot, huh? The man is a legend, and he's my next guest on Bullseye. Doesn't need much more introduction than that. Let's get into it. My conversation with the great George Wallace. George Wallace, welcome to Bullseye. I'm so happy to have you on the show. Well, thank you so much, Jesse. It's a pleasure to be here. I was reading before we got on the line a remembrance you had of Dick Gregory. And... It occurred to me that probably when Dick Gregory hit television, you were at exactly the age for it to be life-changing. Well, I'm not sure because I wanted to be a comedian since I was six years old. And you know, I would listen to guys like Red Fox and Moms Mabley and a guy named Judge Pigby Markham. And what's the guy? I can't even come in. You know what I'm saying? Rodney Dangerfield. All of these guys, I was listening to them at six years old, and I would take their jokes back to school and make kids laugh. And since then, if you're making people happy, what more could you ask for? And I got the greatest job in the world. Dick Gregory was the first one on the couch at The Tonight Show. He was the first one integrating white clubs. Like, yes. That's a big deal. He was big because at the time they asked him to do the Tonight Show many years, as you know, and but they wouldn't let him sit on the sofa because they didn't let a black man sit on the sofa back in the day. And uh, that's just the way it was. He said, I'll do it if you let me sit on the sofa. And sure enough, he sat on the sofa. So, yes, he paved the way for me. Red Fox paved the way for me, Sammy Davis Jr. And, and I thank God every night at my show in Las Vegas. I thank God for Sammy Davis Jr. and Red Fox because especially Sammy Davis Jr. being the greatest entertainer even to this day of all times in Las Vegas, couldn't go to the front door to work the very stage that I'm working today. Couldn't go to the front door and I always have to add a little joke. If they were alive today, they'd be surprised, wouldn't they, to know that we're still going to that same damn kitchen. <laughs> Everybody go through the back door. 
Did you, when you were a kid, want to be Sammy Davis Jr. or did you want to be Red Fox? There's a big gap in between those two. More of a, a Judge Pete McMarkham and a Red Fox. Red Fox was telling those jokes, and they, they call it the party records when I was a kid. They were blue jokes. Uh, not as blue as, as kids are today, but in the time, uh, we thought he was dirty, and, uh, and the parents didn't let us listen to them. The parents would go away to church or go downtown. They must have been stupid to think that we did not know how to operate the, we call it a phonograph back in the day, the record player. And we put those, just like you did, whatever you're not supposed to do when the parents are away, you do it. <laughs> my dad one time told me, my dad was born in 1942, I think. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he was always suspicious of me when I was a teenager and I wasn't up to anything, you know. Really? I mean, nothing consequential. And my dad went to Berkeley. He was a valedictorian of his high school. And he said he was so suspicious of me because when he was a teenager, he was doing speed and stealing his parents' car. I was like, what? Really? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow, 1958 was way wilder than I expected. Well, um, I was still in school at that time, and 58, um, my goodness, what was I doing? I was, must have been in the sixth grade or something like that. Uh, those are some great days then. I thought my days were crazy. I uh, grew up in the uh, 70s and the 80s, and the, man, you're talking about the greatest time to live. 70s, 80s, and 90s, that's probably when you were born. Is that right, Jesse? 1981, I was born. 1981. Oh, boy, you're a young kid. You have no idea the fun we had, the nightclubs and the disco and the nude beaches in Ibiza, Spain, and, uh, oh, and just people coming together. And uh, that's when we had the, uh, we had a war and all of that, and we were stopping the war, and, and people were loving each other. And come on, people now, let's get together, love each one another, and love each other. Uh, and we were coming together. And every 30 years, something will happen that will break us up again. Like right now, it's a terrible time. You know, it was all about love. And now the country's divided in some way. We've got to come back together and have fun. And you know what does that? Laughter is healing for the soul. Laughter is the greatest medicine in the world. And just think if all comedians were in Congress. I know this sounds like a joke, but just think if we were all in Congress, because, you know, basically comedians are the smartest people in the world. We know the social ills. We know what people need. Give it to them. Give it to them. And let's just laugh it off. And as far as Congress, we could get bills done because, you know, comedians going to be out of that because we got a show at eight. We ain't going to miss that show no matter what. We'll pass a bill. It would be great just to have um, comedians in charge of the world. 20 years ago on this show, I got the answer that I probably think about the most to a question in the whole history of this show, which was, Dave Attell was still hosting the show Insomniac on Comedy Central. Mm-hmm. It was like a late night, overnight documentary party show and where he'd go around and do different stuff that happened late at night. And my colleague at the time asked him, if you could do Insomniac in any time period, what time would you do it in? And we're thinking he's going to say, well, I get to go meet dinosaurs or whatever, or Knights <laughs> of the Round Table. And he goes, the 70s? And we're like, really? The 70s? Not dinosaur times? And he says, yeah, well, you could smoke anywhere and you didn't have to wear a seatbelt. Dude, dude, the 70s. 
If you were to come to Atlanta, there's a street here called Peachtree Street. And by the way, you'll see no peaches. I don't know. I grew up here. We had peaches, but not any longer. And there's 27 Peachtree Streets. But you could actually walk down the street, the nightclubs, smoking in Georgia, in Atlanta in the 70s. And it was amazing. Yes, you could smoke. And people were coming together and just having fun. It was a... the disco era and, and, and it's, what happened I was living in New York at the time what happened Studio 54 opened and basically it was just a, a alternative bar and more or less gay bar it was so much fun that all the straight people said oh hell no you're not going to do this by yourself we're coming in here <laughs> and it became popular all over America San Francisco had the big clubs and it was just the 70s were great man the 70s were great I was still working as vice president of the world's largest advertising agency in New York City at the time. Uh, you probably don't know this about me, but all the billboards and spectaculars at uh, Times Square in New York City, I was a uh, vice president of that company. And uh, the 70s was just great, man. I just wish I could explain it to you, the freedom people had to just enjoy life. Yeah, yeah. let's go back to the 70s, 70s and 80s. Woo. You were a salesman, right? Yes, I was a salesman. That's what I do now. I'm a salesperson now. And so are you. Everything in life revolves around sales. When I walk out on that stage, I got to sell some jokes. Sometimes people buy them, sometimes they don't. Did you think you were going to stay a salesman or were you scheming? Oh, no. I wanted to be a comedian since six years old. I just heard some of the older guys in vaudeville saying sometimes they were hungry. You know, on the Tonight Show, uh, all the guys, older guys were saying sometimes they were hungry. They didn't know where they were going to get food from. I said, to hell with that. So I decided to go to college and get a degree. My first degree was in transportation. And then I went to marketing and advertising. And uh, so I wanted to make a lot of money to get a financial cushion so I could become the comedian. And it worked out pretty, let's put it like this. I've, I've lived my dream. I'm the most successful person you've ever met. It's not how much money you make. It's how you enjoy your life while you're living. And I did everything I wanted to do. My ultimate goal was to work Las Vegas. And I went there and the next thing you know, they called me the new Mr. Vegas. I uh, I didn't work for the hotels. I owned the show in Las Vegas. I, I've done more shows uh, in Las Vegas than most entertainers and definitely more shows than any African-American entertainer. And uh, like I said, I went there for 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, turned it into 15 years. And I just love what I do so strategizing and doing what I want to do and just being blessed to have the best friends in the world. Uh, I do. I wish everybody had my life. That's all I can say. So much more to get into with the legend George Wallace. Stay with us. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with their original podcast, Choiceology. Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind people's decisions. Download the latest episode and subscribe at schwab.com slash podcast. This message comes from NPR sponsor Capital One. The Capital One Venture X business card has no preset spending limit, so the card's purchasing power can adapt to meet business needs. Plus, the card earns unlimited double miles on every purchase, so the more a business spends, the more miles earned. And when traveling, the VentureX Business Card grants access to over 1,300 airport lounges. The VentureX Business Card. What's in your wallet? Terms and conditions apply. Find out more at CapitalOne.com slash VentureXBusiness. This message comes from NPR sponsor Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. 
Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash NPR. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with George Wallace. He's a stand-up comic who's been in the game for almost 50 years, 5-0. He's been on The Tonight Show, The Late Show, Conan, Oprah, pretty much everywhere. He's a regular in Vegas, easily one of the most hardworking and, frankly, legendary comics in the game. Let's get back into our conversation. How old were you when you first got on a stand-up stage? Ooh, I think it was doing some college shows, pretty much. You know, I was in college at the time of uh, the Kent State situation, which was like 1969. The kids got shot on campus, and we came together, and and I was a dorm counselor. I pretty much ran the University of Akron, and then they called me governor because I was running things. Of course, we also had the governor in Alabama, George Wallace, but at the University of Akron campus uh, in high school, I pretty much always ran everything with laughter, with a smile. Never hurting anybody, never uh, doing, uh, I'm kind of like your dad. You would think I'm suspicious. He doesn't get in any trouble. It's always good. That's what it's all about. Was your name always George Wallace? It wasn't your no. given name, right? Given name is Henry. Was it George Wallace when you were in school? No, jo- Henry Wallace is my name, Henry Wallace. And when I got to California and I wanted to join the union, that was already a Henry Wallace. I said, oh, Dog, man, damn. So I'm going to use my dad's name, George Wallace. And there's nine George Wallaces in my family. So, And then the governor, I said, I'll make it a good name, George Wallace. But the real name <laughs> is Henry Wallace. Some people so, just- like, it's one thing for you to have always been named George Wallace, the same name as the, probably the most legendary segregationist in American history. I say segregation today, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. I'm, it's I'm a, the same it's a stunning impression, George. <laughs> So it's one thing if that's, look, if your dad's name is George Wallace, he names you George Jr., you say, there's nothing I can do about it. I'm up on a stand-up comedy stage and my name is George Wallace. I got to convince people that it's okay that my name is George Wallace. <laughs> you chose to be named George Wallace. Yeah, because it was a good, I, you know, back then, we were just having fun. And, and George, I took George Wallace and, you know, like I said, people had called me Governor Wallace all through my life. Uh, in college and high school governor. And I answered to it. I was pretty much running everything. But uh, yeah, George Wallace always, and my dad was a good guy, George Wallace, my older brother, George Wallace Jr. He's one of the first black professional golfers in America. When I was a kid, I did not know they were making history. Lee Elder and Charlie Sifford, they all stayed at my house when I was a kid. I We didn't know they were making history at the time. And uh, so George Wallace is a good name. And today it's uh, it's a lot of fun. When did you start working as a comic for money? For money? Boy. 1976, I walked into a club called Catch a Rising Star, and uh, that's where I met my best friend, a little Jew boy sitting at the end of the bar. I was a little black boy. And back in the day, there may have been only five working black comedians, only 50 working any comedians, all comedians back in 1976. So um, start making money probably in 77. Made money too soon, actually. I I was in the business for six months, and I was telling jokes, some stock jokes. and But I was good enough to uh, uh, control a crowd, and uh, and I got little money. But big money, I made money all my life, you know. You mentioned that one of your 
heroes as a kid was Pigmeat Markham, who, of course, yeah. famous for Here Comes the Judge. Here Comes the Judge. Oh, uh, Jesse, you know this now. You know, when they got on TV some years, I think it was Laugh Off, and you had, uh, I think it was Laugh Off when you had Sammy Davis Jr. saying Here Comes the Judge, but that actually came from Judge Pigmeat Markham. Um, the judge is high as a Georgia pine this morning. Gonna lock everybody going to jail this morning. I might do some time myself. <laughs> judge Pigmeat. <laughs> he was so funny. I read that when you went on stage, you went on stage in character as the, I was like the Reverend Dr. George Wallace or something like that. <laughs> I grew up in Atlanta and being a Southern kid, you go into church no matter what. Like I said, and we used to go to church every Sunday all through the week. We go to church on Sunday and we didn't get out to like Tuesday, man. So so as a little bad boy in church, I'm listening to everything that the preacher says. And and that's why I even use it in my act today, how the preacher, black church or preacher will come up in the pulpit with the Bible in his hands and tell everybody, I won't be long. It's just a flat out lie. He's going to be up here at least 45 minutes minimum. So I started saying, Ma, and I said to my parents, I said, do you see such a, the lady do such and such in church today? She fell, she was in the spirit, and my parents would say, shut up, boy. I said, you, you know you saw it, and they would start laughing, and, and I would make fun about everything. They had a phrase in the church about joining the church, and it says, the doors of the church are open. And I would turn around and look back, doors not open. I didn't understand the phrase, but I, just anything different. You can't say anything around me around me today where I won't Make it into a joke. Did you think that going on stage with your gimmick being the Reverend Doctor, right? Like you're preaching on stage, you still preach on stage. Not so much about God, but talking about in your I style. never preached about God, but I would, you know, I went on stage with, first of all, my Bible was the Yellow Pages. You probably don't remember. It used to be a thick yellow book for AT&T every year. Whatever you want, look it up in the book, The Good Book of Bell. And I started that way and... Uh, just having fun as that character's a reverend. And then I got out to Los Angeles and I said, I can't be this character the entire show. And so I started, um, I lost the character, which I should bring back. Reverend, uh-huh. That was my name, uh-huh. And the <laughs> audience would always repeat after me, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and so I should bring it back. You know, I had the big robe on with the lights on the on the robe, like Liberace. And, and that was a good character. Just had a lot of fun. You mentioned meeting your best friend at Catch a Rising Star. I presume you're referring to Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah, could be, could be not. Uh huh. <laughs> Depends on the day. Depends on the day. I can't. I've been 47 years. I've been trying to get rid of this guy. Can you believe that? <laughs> now I'm the actual guy, as you you probably know this. I'm the actual guy that was his roommate for 13 years. I did know that. So I'm actually the real George. I am the uh, best man in his wedding and. Uh, I always throwing the joke, I'm the father of his kids, but we're so tight. I'm so blessed to have uh, uh, he being my best friend for 47 years to this day. We still talk to each other at least five times a day and just being around him. If you're going to have a friend, Jesse, you might as well have the richest friend in comedy, right? Yeah. Why not? And I take advantage of that, Jesse. I mean, he, he says some stupid stuff, too. We were flying out to... Uh, Los Angeles two weeks ago, and he said to me, maybe in June it was, he says to me, you need to get your own plane. And I'm going, what the hell, what, what's wrong with this plane? What the hell I need another plane for? We got this one, so I'll take advantage. You know, he got a yacht, I got a yacht. He says stupid stuff all the time. Then I could just go on and on about him. People just don't know what an idiot he is. It makes sense to me, this 
rich friend in comedy thing. And I'm going to just going to put it out there. Ray Romano, call me. Is that right? I'm ready to be friends with Ray Romano. Give me a call. Let's do this. He's a nice guy, too. He might call you, Jesse. One of the funniest, too. Nothing yeah. wrong with Ray Romano. I just want to spend his money. <laughs> You'd be thinking. He earned it. You know, I just I don't have a problem with him having it. I just want to spend some of it. Well, my friend has the money. I don't need in his money. If I did, I could get it. But I've been working pretty hard and doing well myself. So we both are happy. And uh, he's more famous than I am. But I can do anything he can do. I can retire if I want to. Uh, he and Anderson Cooper were talking one day. And we were talking about, is it better to be famous or rich? And I'm just thinking, those guys, they're both. But I'm thinking, you know what? I can do anything. I could retire today and do anything I want to do, travel all over the world. Enough people know me to satisfy my little ego bus drivers driving down the street, boop, boop, waving at me. But the only thing different with me, I can go pee. I can go to the bathroom. They cannot go to the bathroom. <laughs> photographers are on them every time they make a move. They don't even know it. Photographers are all over the place. But uh, we're enjoying life no matter what. We are really, really enjoying life. I watched a lot of Jerry Seinfeld's Netflix show. And you saying that you are constantly looking around you looking for a joke, that you'll hear a joke in anything. Yes. Is the same thought I had about watching Seinfeld on that show, that even when another one of the comics starts talking about their feelings, Jerry Seinfeld immediately hears a word he thinks is funny. Mm -hmm. And starts talking about which letters in the word make it funny. <laughs> you exactly. know what I mean? It, it triggers. And uh, that's what we do. That's what we do today. If we're talking on the phone, we go, that's funny. Write that down. Write that down. Any conversation, that's funny. Write that down. Write that down. Um, so it's great writing new jokes and coming up with premises and just having fun. But does that get in the way of being, I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, but like, being human beings? We are human beings. That's just what we do. We Our job is to make people happy. When we see happy people, it makes us happier. We love what we do. We're doctors. We're sociologists. We, uh, we're the best, man. We go to work and people come to see us and we don't know these people. And there's people in the audience. You got truck drivers out there. You got uh, doctors. You got psychologists. You got holes. You got all kind of people out there. You got intellectuals and you got intellectual and and it's just so good that we go out there and people give us respect and we give them respect. They buy us and we give them what they want and it's laughter. When you forget about your um, marriage problems, your financial situation, and you're listening to a comedian, it doesn't matter what's going on in the world. People love to laugh, don't they? That's true. But I don't think that's every... I think every comedian I know their goal is to make people laugh. There's no doubt about that, right? Yeah. If you're on a stand-up stage, it's binary. They're laughing or they're not laughing, right? Yes, sir. But I don't know that every comic I know, their overarching goal is make people happy. I think laughs and happy are related, but they're not the same thing. I think you are really, really smart. And you did say the right thing. You're so, you're so right. There are some comedians that just goes out there and they're... they're frustrated with life and they're just trying to get a point across and and people do laugh at the situation but they're not necessarily happy themselves stick around more bullseye around the corner from maximumfun.org and npr this message comes from npr sponsor xfinity everything's changing so fast these days but now there's the xfinity 10g network 
That means the fastest internet with faster speeds rolling out every day. And internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. So while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement while another TikToks in the kitchen. The next generation Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Support for NPR and the following message come from Betterment, an automated investing and savings app. CEO Sarah Levy shares why Betterment believes cash can be a strategic choice. There are times when the market is volatile, when customers are a little nervous about investing. We came to understand that there was an opportunity to introduce cash as part of an investing strategy and to give back yields to the customer. Learn more about high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk. Performance not guaranteed. Cash reserve offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. Oh, darling, why won't you accept my love? My dear, even though you are a duke, I could never love you. You, you borrowed a book from me and never returned it. (gasps) Save yourself from this terrible fate by listening to Reading Glasses. We'll help you get those borrowed books back and solve all your other reader problems. Reading Glasses, every Thursday on Maximum Fun. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is the veteran stand-up comedian George Wallace. He's appeared dozens of times on television, had countless specials, is a beloved fixture in Las Vegas, and is a master of observational comedy. Let's get back into our conversation. You've done a huge number of shows in Vegas, mm-hmm. long years-long residencies. And on the one hand, the people who are at a show in Las Vegas, you already know they're there to have a good time. So mm-hmm. that's encouraging, right? Yes. I would think that the challenge of doing a show in Vegas is this is truly a random group of people, right? Like the, you cannot depend on any part of the demographics or psychographics of the people who show up in Las Vegas. Some of these people are in from Portugal and they don't speak English. You're right. You know what I mean? Like it is every kind of person from all over the country, from all over the world. And you have to figure out how to put your act over to people who are anyone. You know what I mean? That's what you call mastering the stage. And because you never know what's going to happen. I had many a night in Las Vegas at Flamingo. I'm having people come in late there and I stopped the show. Where are you from? Man? From India. Where about in India? New Delhi. You just, oh, you know, they just open up a New Delhi around the corner. People come in from, why? Stop the show. Why is this side of the room not laughing? And then they were from Japan. Then you try to do some Japanese and have a little fun with them. And at least they appreciate you if you acknowledge them. So you're right. You never know who's out there in that audience. Some people come because they got free passes from the uh, hotel, the high rollers. And so it's the toughest job in the world to try to go out there and make the vast majority laugh uh, and have fun and enjoy themselves. But that's what I like doing. That's what life is all about. If you can connect with people, you have no idea. And the greatest compliment you could ever get, it's not always about the money. When you walk out and I tend to greet people as they leave my show in Las Vegas, and they walk out and they say, Mr. Wallace, you have no idea. I haven't laughed in three years. My husband died. Another person said I had brain surgery. I just want to thank you. That's what it's all about, getting compliments like that, better than money. 
I saw you on my friends, uh, Baron Vaughn and Mike Eagle had a show called the new Negroes on comedy. Central. <laughs> I saw you yeah. do a set on that show. A fantastic set on that show. Thank you. Listen, I'm here on the new Negroes. I'm one of the old Negroes, but I'm new tonight. But I'm here, and I love the weather in Los Angeles. This is such beautiful. And you know what? This, if you can't laugh in Los Angeles, you can't laugh nowhere. Don't be so proud. I'm talking about some negative y'all do. People in Los Angeles driving around in a smart car, drinking smart water, talking on a smart phone, and sitting in traffic looking like a dumb Listen, if you can't laugh in Los Angeles, you're just driving down the street, just stupid they got here. They got a place called a 24-hour fitness center with a sign underneath it, open 6 a.m. to midnight. Why y'all do stupid like that? And I thought, well, here's Mike and Baron trying to create a space for black comics and musicians to do something that is different from the norm while still doing it for a mostly black audience, like mm -hmm. doing it sort of a for us, not them situation, right? Right. Um, or for us and them in their case. They're in for us and us. them, that's good, yeah. Yeah. And I saw you go on this stage and I thought, well, George Wallace has made his entire career out of being welcoming to everyone, right? Like, you can't do decades in Las Vegas without doing that. Right. And I thought, I wonder what this experience is like for George Wallace. Is this, well, I can put something over in any crowd, it doesn't matter. Or is this, what a relief it is to be in a different kind of place and be able to do a different kind of thing? Say the first part of your the question. The first one is, well, I'm good at what I do. I can put this act over on anybody. Say that again. You're good I at what you it. do and you can put I it over with anybody. You just said. You can. It's the truth. You know why, Jesse? Everybody loves to laugh. I don't give a damn. You know, I like you coming to my show. I love everybody. I got white, black, Jews, just everybody. Hip hoppers. Oh, I love it. That's what's good about the George Wallace audience. Just anybody and everybody come in and let's just have a plate of food. And it's just, ooh, we got every flavor of laughter you want. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah, I can do this with anybody. That's my challenge. Before... Uh, the 2020, what was the last election? 20 was 20. the last one. I did a Republican group down in Florida <laughs> and didn't know it. And when I was on stage, you know, like about 60 people started, okay, Kevin, okay, what's his name? Brian. Okay, Brian. Okay, Brian. And I'm going, what? Oh, I said, I was told not to talk about politics. If you want to go there, let's do it. And I proceeded to shoot her out and we had fun. The show was supposed to be at Mar-a-Lago. And I said, I'm not going to do it there. So they moved it to another place. And uh, and I did it. I actually just took the money, to be honest. But I still <laughs> had people laughing. I feel like that is the place in your public persona where you have made some room for something other than it's good for everybody to laugh. Other than taking care of everybody. That feels like the spot where you have chosen to, to make a difference as a, you know, as a grown up, as a 70 year old man, you know what I mean? Like you, you made you. that choice. Don't I have the greatest job in the world? 
I teach young kids, make sure you enjoy your life. I tell young kids to, uh, just because you get a degree in marketing, doesn't mean you got to do statistical analysis the rest of your life. You might enjoy arranging flowers or fixing cars. Look how much money a mechanic makes. Honor your essence. Show people what you love to do. Don't worry about the money. The money will come. I want young people, as soon as you get out of high school, as soon as you get out of college, get on an airplane, go to another country, see other people have other cultures, and even charge it to your parents. Just go. Because I teach the young kids that life is backwards. Don't you hear old people say, when I turn 65, I'm going to retire and travel all over the world. But what? You're too damn old. There's nothing you can do. you got to be in bed by 6.30. I see old people in front of the Eiffel Tower just looking up and going, huh, let's go home. You know. So make sure you enjoy your life. And making people happy, just nothing is better than that. And, uh, and to the crowds, oof. and I don't even know how I got into that bit. I went crazy. <laughs> There's this old show business saying that I've heard attributed to a thousand different people, which is I do the shows for free. I get paid to travel. And one of the reasons that a residency in Las Vegas is a good job for an entertainer is that you can have a place to live. You don't have to do two days of traveling for every two days of working that you're doing. And that's a big difference in somebody's life. Um, Jesse. Yes, sir. Glad you brought that up. George Wallace, as I said before, my first degree was in transportation. You're talking to a guy right now that loves airplanes. I'm scheduled to go to Cape Town tomorrow. 15 hours. The longer the flight, the better. Get in that bed and just, I love traveling. I love, people ask me, where do I live? I said, I live at United and Delta. I <laughs> love to fly. I love to travel. Oh, my God. Just meeting different people. And, and I want my kids to travel. I want everybody to travel and see and meet and greet other people. People ask me, what is my favorite city? Uh, the one that has the microphone. Uh San Francisco used to be a great city. I haven't been there in a while for laughter and comedy, but every city, Madison Square Garden, I was there two weeks ago with Dave Chappelle on stage with him in Madison Square Garden. Great crowd. People just want to laugh and have fun. I, I keep going back to laughter because laughter is my life. And when you stop laughing, you stop living. So you got to keep laughter in your life. Uh, you can't even fake a smile without feeling better. It's important to laugh. And that's even in the Bible. Laughter is healing for the soul. So traveling does not bother George Wallace. How often do you fake a smile? <laughs> <laughs> Let the record reflect that George stupid. Wallace faked a smile in response I said, to that question. Now, stupid, stupid doesn't mean, that's not the, a bad word. Now, stupid is, is, a, is a compliment. You're stupid, okay? So it's just uh, certain words have different meanings these days. That's a, sincere, be... that's a sincere question for me, though, because if... You see your job as making everybody around you happier, more comfortable, which it sounds like you do. Something you yes. take seriously. Totally. You can't always be... Yes, you can. Can you? Yes, you can. You can always be happy. You just keep laughter in the back of your head, no matter what it is. How many times you go into a funeral now? Funerals are funny now. You know, you got to keep laughing in your life because, like I said, it's the medicine. No matter... You can go to your bills. You can go to your marriage. You can go to civic... You know, situations around America, social changes, neighborhoods, even hunger. But at the end, you have got to laugh. That's our, that's our glue. Laughter is the glue. No matter what you do, you got to have some laughter. You show me a speaker on stage, and if he doesn't have a laugh, it's boring as hell. It's kind of like when I did the, my um, 
commencement at the University of Akron, I told the people, most speakers up here, up here for 45 minutes and boring. I said, I tell you what, I am not going to be boring, but I am going to be up here for 45 minutes. And it goes by just like that. You keep the people, they want more of happiness and the truth, and you can have some fun. I have to say, you've become quite a social media star in the last five or 10 years. And one of the things that I appreciate most about your jokes on Twitter is that I don't know if it's because you are not having to hone them in front of an audience of one representative of every type of person in the world. So they have to work for everybody. But I read one of your tweets today and laughed out loud by myself sitting at my computer, which is the most difficult out loud laugh to achieve in the world, I think. And the tweet was shout out to beloved serial mascot, Toucan Sam, six years sober today. <laughs> Keep it up. <laughs> and I just thought George Wallace goes on Twitter and is borderline surreal. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, I just like doing different things. Like, and sometimes I don't think they're funny. I'm sitting there with them. I just do them. And it's just like, uh, what is the one group I got to start doing again? I'm different. I'm a rebel. I don't play by the rules. You know, I'll eat cupcakes out of a pan and pancakes out of a cup. And I'll do all of this stupid stuff. I'll eat French toast in England and English muffin in France. I don't give a damn. I just, all of this stuff, I love to do it. I said, I'll drink a half a glass of whole milk and a whole glass of half and half. I don't give a and some lady told me in Cleveland one night, way in the back of the line, said, Mr. Wallace, if you drink a half a glass of whole milk and a whole glass of half and half, she says, you may not give a but you're going to take one. And I just love, I love people just doing the tweets. Sometimes I, I forget the tweets that I do. Because sometimes I do like eight at, at a time, then I'll have them released uh, on certain days. And I'm trying to get away from X now and get more into um, Instagram and TikTok. So you're going to see a new George Wallace. What I like about it is, a whole glass of half and half and a half a glass of whole milk <laughs> is, with all due respect to you, one of America's greatest comedians, a very stupid joke. Very <laughs> and, stupid joke. And I love the passion that you have for having thought of that silly nonsense. Like, I'll laugh and laugh. The excitement conveyed, even in a text-only venue... At this silly nonsense. I can just see that you were at the grocery store, you saw some whole milk, and your joke brain went into overdrive. Yes, and you know, now you're talking milk, you got me thinking like, I'm in a grocery store, I'll be thinking, I saw an item that said evaporated milk. And I'm thinking, well, what the hell is in the can? (laughs) (laughs) Well, George Wallace, I sure appreciate your time. Thank you for talking to me. Yes, I have to thank you. I have not met you before. I apologize. It's wonderful, and I'm sure a lot of people listen to you because you're just that damn good. George Wallace. He tours all the time. If you've never seen him live, you're in for a treat. We'll have a link to his website at the Bullseye page on MaximumFun.org. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is created from the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California. You won't be surprised to learn that when there was a storm in Los Angeles the other day, a bunch of huge branches fell out of the big old tree outside of my house. I can see them. They're like stacked up in the uh, street right now. 
The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our senior producer is Kevin Ferguson. Our producers, Jesus Ambrosio and Richard Roby. Our production fellow at Maximum Fund, Brianna Paz. We get booking help from Mara Davis. Our interstitial music is by Dan Wally, DJW. Our theme song is Huddle Formation. It was written and recorded by The Go Team. Thanks to The Go Team. Thanks to Memphis Industries, their label, for providing it to us. Bullseye is on Instagram. We're sharing interview highlights, behind-the-scenes looks, and more. We're at Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. You can also find us on Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from Bombas. Bombas makes absurdly soft socks, underwear, and t-shirts. And for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Get 20% off your first purchase at bombas.com slash NPR and use code NPR. On the StoryCorps podcast, we believe a lot of the most interesting stories are right there in front of us, waiting to be told. So every week, we share a candid, unscripted conversation between two people around the themes of love, loss, family, and friendship. These aren't experts or celebrities, just everyday people like you and me. Listen now to the StoryCorps podcast from NPR.